My name is Linda Nardelli. I'm a spiritual counselor and the author of Mystical Intimacy, a book on embodied mysticism. Today's episode centers on the last chapter of my book, a chapter about love. Mass India, the soul group that I channel, bring this very element throughout the whole book, this fundamental element of love. It's threaded throughout the book. The spirits refer to our greater capacity to give and receive love. In this chapter in particular, we explore the notion of unconditional love and and how being unconditional, well, it doesn't mean turning the other cheek, as the saying goes. It doesn't mean that we must be selflessly tolerant. Love begins with the self, after all. It, It reminds us of the the metaphor of a well, at least it does for me, it, it's, it reminds me of the, a hole drilled in the ground to access the aquifer, the, the underground layer of water-bearing, permeable rock. The aquifer needs to be replenished by rain. It needs to be replenished so that we can draw water from the well. We're no different. Nature is continuously resourcing itself, and it requires the gift of, of time. You and I We're no different. We need time. We need time to rest and relax, to heal and be replenished. We we need time, if only just to pause, to slow down and remember, to breathe. We need time to tune in, to become aware of our natural boundaries, to know when to limit the overconsumption of our inner well. We must say no, no to unreasonable expectations from others as well as that from ourselves. Without the shame and without the guilt that plagues so many people, imagine saying no, just from the purity of your natural sense of, well, your natural limit. There is this overarching sense of responsibility that so many of us hold towards providing for others and and also with achieving some sense of of a desirable identity which then keeps us impoverished and disconnected from our own sense of value. People work so hard to gain approval, permission, and security, well, to the point that it hardens their heart. They become safeguarded, armored against failure, disapproval, and judgments. It's important to realize that our our armoring, well, it also keeps the divine out. It keeps the light of our soul essence out. It pushes real joy and purpose away. We have developed many coping strategies over many generations that end up keeping spirit at bay. Our fight, flight, freeze, and appease tendencies get activated rather quickly, robbing us of the stillness of our heart's capacity to give, to accept, empathize, and cultivate peace. I wrote in my book that the gift of love endeavors to remind us that we are sacred and it compels us to trust in life because that is what we need to be whole, body and soul, and to thrive. However, our trust is limited by the belief that we are undeserving. People can become quite convinced that they are unworthy, or conversely, they defend their right to be loved. How how is it that our need to give and love has become such a battle? One way or another, there is so much unease. We don't live in a world that naturally welcomes us as we are. Rather, we live in a world that is constantly trying to change us and demanding that we accommodate other people's expectations, that we fit in, that we toe the line. 
our fundamental need to be accepted, to be supported, to be seen and heard and understood, even soothed and reassured is, well, it's not welcomed in this world that has a harsh need to change us. Our fundamental needs then become easily overlooked and even pushed aside, hidden away, as we work so hard to measure up to an idealized sense of self-worth based on these all these external factors. That, that is a duality of our human existence, the paradox between our, our need to thrive, our longing for purpose and connection, and conversely, our drive to survive. These pull us in separate directions. This need to, to belong and this drive to survive. We move towards what we dream of and we pull away from it. Every child that has these two contrasting needs, the self-expression and security. We need to express who we are and we need to belong. As children, we have an intrinsic need to discover who we truly are, to be our authentic selves, to express. While we also need to be wanted and to be secure, to be safe. How do we discover and express our true voice and simultaneously receive mom and dad's acceptance as as well as society's acceptance? And in most cases, a child's natural expression gets thwarted by, by these external, the disapproval, the expectations and criticism. A young mother I know shared how, how worried she is with how people, family members, teachers, other parents scrutinize her three-year-old. She wants to protect her son from their judgment, and she recognized just how easy it is to try to, to mold him to fit in so that he'll be accepted. She's afraid that if he's different, he'll be ostracized. I know someone else who, she didn't agree with being vaccinated, and this this was for measles, and next thing you know, some other people that show some mothers wouldn't let their children play together. So standing apart, having more alternative thoughts can pull us apart. We've experienced that with COVID. So what person hasn't met adversity, judgment, and criticism? Looking back at our childhood, what what child hasn't met with adversity, judgment, and criticism? As I mentioned earlier, we, we live in a world that has a harsh need to change us and we ourselves try to measure up to an idealized version of who we think we should be to, to, to succeed, to win, to not lose, to not be lost. In my counseling practice, I see countless people deeply wounded by the criticism and the neglect they grew up with and the condition, disapproval, and abandonment that takes place in their, their personal lives at work and in society. I wrote in this chapter that the true power of love is that it doesn't discriminate between good or bad, worthy or unworthy. It's not a force of punishment, regret or blame, but rather a tremendous source of empowerment that sheds light onto all aspects of our lives. Love doesn't stop at the door and say, I will not enter unless you are pure. Instead, love steps across a threshold. It holds nothing back, even if we don't believe it. This concept of love not discriminating between good and bad is threaded throughout mystical intimacy because 
non-duality, or in other words, seeing life through the lens of non-judgment, well, that is embodied mysticism. We can't measure up or be good enough for love because love isn't a reward. We don't even deserve love. We need love, like we need water and air. That's the trick here. That's the key. No, you don't deserve love. You need it. Do you deserve oxygen? You need oxygen. It's natural. We need and compete or strive for love. For it cannot be attained, explains Mass India. Love simply exists. It is not something you accomplish, consume, have, or have not. It is your birthright. Not something you have a right to. It is already yours. So the most significant message in this book is that we give and receive love by accepting reality as it is, without trying to change or fix it. If everything around and within you had to change in order for you to love fully, you would wait a very long time. The world does not have to be secure, safe, and reassuring for you to welcome your divinity and be whole, nor do you have to be perfect. You can connect with your natural capacity to give and receive love fully by not making yourself or anything wrong. Mass India reminds us that we exist in this world and in multidimensional realms to be heartful, to be the expression of divine grace, not only when it feels good, but in all areas of our life. It is highly necessary that you love yourself, they say which is not a task to accomplish, but a way of being. Imagine falling in love with yourself as though you were a newborn child. And since we are reborn in each and every moment, then we can fall in love with ourselves over and over again. The cells of our body are renewed. We are reborn over and over again. And I love this message from Mass India. It speaks volumes to me. I struggle with esteem. I struggle with not feeling like a belong. I struggle with having had a traumatic past, a childhood, and and I get to repattern that child and I get to take care of her, my inner self. I love this. Imagine falling in love with yourself as though this was the first day of your life. I wrote a poem called Eyes of Fire for this chapter, inspired by a Canadian song, A Lullaby, written and performed by uh, Marie-Jo Thériault. And her song is called Oiseau de Paradis, Bird of Paradise. It's a beautiful song. It's a lullaby that speaks to my inner child, and it always touches me, and I want to share this with you. I, I'll translate part of the song, so just to give you an idea of what moved me to write my poem. Marie-Jo Thériault, she sings the verse, Fais dodo, sois tranquille. J'entends ton cœur qui bat au bout du monde. Go to sleep. Be quiet. I hear your heart beating at the end of the world. Laisse aller la tempête. Y a pas de bruit, y a pas de pleurs. Fais confiance. Let go of the storm, the noise. No need for tears. You can have faith. J'arrive avec des fruits et des fleurs sur un oiseau de paradis. I come with fruits and flowers on a bird 
of paradise. Sur ses ailes de feu, ses yeux qui percent la nuit. On its wings of fire and its eyes that pierce the night. J'arrive du bout du monde pour apaiser le vent et la pluie. I arrive from the ends of the world to appease the wind and the rain on a bird of paradise. That's love. That's love. Oh my goodness, I love this song. I, I feel soothed by the lyrics and, and I feel, I feel loved. I didn't grow up being sheltered from the storm. Outside my door, the storm raged and I often felt so afraid. My parents would fight. My grandparents disapproved of them and, and the world seemed like such a harsh place. Yet, I drew, I made drawings, I created, I wrote poems and found solace in nature and in spirit. As a child, I prayed, I commune with a deep sense of the divine. That is what this poem is about, the poem Eyes of Fire. My love, my love for you has eyes of fire that pierce through the dark, reaching from the heavens to illuminate the way. My love is inexhaustible, a blessing from the night to appease the storm and shelter you from the wind and the cold. My love, you are beautiful even as you pull away from me, afraid of the light, afraid of me, seeing through you, my love. My love, there is no armor that can hold me afar. I come to you bearing gifts and the certainty that you are my joy no matter how ashamed you feel. Oh, my sweet darling, there is no darkness in you I cannot imagine whole and healed. You are beautiful, even as you pull away from me, afraid of the light, afraid of me seeing through you. This line says so much to me. It speaks of how afraid we are of love. It also speaks of the fear we have of being seen for who we are, not who we want to be or how we want to be perceived, but for who we are, because we see flaws in ourselves. Right? This line also signifies the beauty of staying in love, even as someone pulls away from our love, staying in love. Imagine staying in love even as someone you love pulls away from you, someone that is afraid of the magnitude of your affection and care. There is someone dear to me who once told me that she couldn't take how much I love her, that it intimidated her. And instead of receiving the gift of my time, my care, and the food that I brought to her once, she, she projected her fear of being judged by me. She just, that's what she was, that's what she knew. So she reacted and she insisted that I thought poorly of her and, and made up a whole story in her mind and then proceeded to defend and justify that story. I hadn't judged her in the slightest and it was only through reflective listening guarded against the potential that I, that I would take it away. And in my, her reaction also triggered that for me. It's like, no, she's taking her love away from me. Hmm? Oh. oh, if only we would listen, if only we would listen unconditionally, what clarity 
What clarity comes of that? It's amazing. So in the poem, the line, my love, my love, there is no armor that can hold me afar. I come to you bearing gifts and the certainty that you are my joy, no matter how ashamed you feel. These words are a promise and speak of the power of love. Too often love is taken away when we don't meet others' expectations. My friend, my sweet friend, was struggling with post-trauma and, and living past abandonment. She, it's only natural then that she would project that onto me as I was, well, really a safe person for her to work that out with. Eh? I just, I had made that commitment to her. She's like my daughter. I had made the commitment a long time ago to be there to work through the, these, these, these tough points in relationships. See? Oh, my sweet darling, there is no darkness in you I cannot imagine, whole and healed. And this is what I do in my work as a healer, as a spiritual counselor. I see people as whole. I think it's important. I trust where they are. If there's resistance, wow, isn't that amazing? If they're struggling with something, if, if they're pushing me away in some way because they're afraid or they don't feel safe, that's information. And to me, it's amazing. I get to see them in their rawness as well as their sublime openings, their incredible revelations. It's amazing. I wonder... Do you have someone in your life that sees you, really sees you, and helps you recognize your patterns and your value? And are you able to receive that care? I've been the child, the woman, the friend, the wife that has been encumbered by a profound sense of unworthiness. I have been the one projecting, protecting, and sabotaging relationships. And I have been forgiven. I have been seen as unbroken healed and magnificent, a gift that has helped me remember who I truly am. That is the power of love. Oh, sweet darling, there is no darkness in you I cannot imagine whole and heal. My love for you has eyes of fire that pierce through the dark, reaching from the heavens to illuminate the way. My love is inexhaustible, a blessing from the night to appease the storm and shelter you from the wind and the cold. My love, you are beautiful even as you pull away from me, afraid of the light, afraid of me, seeing through you. My love, my love, there is no armor that can hold me afar. I come to you bearing gifts and the certainty that you are my joy, no matter how ashamed you feel. Oh, my sweet darling, there is no darkness in you. I cannot imagine whole and healed. I recently listened to a conversation between Marion Williamson and Oprah, a conversation about forgiveness. Marianne mentioned that at her lectures, she encourages people to pray for those who have done them wrong. She says, pray for those people's happiness every day for 30 days, every morning, for five minutes if you can. In the conversation with Oprah, Marianne goes on to say that our greatest power to change the world is to change our minds about the world. What she says next is a perfect depiction of what occurs when we pray, when we let go and are generous with the power of our love. Marianne says that if you pray for the happiness of others, 
one of two things will happen. Either they will behave differently or you won't care. Ultimately, you won't be invested in their response. We often think of returning to love as giving in or giving up, and it can seem so hard and impossible. Hatred sets in. It gets lodged so deep in our hearts that it prevents us from knowing the beauty of forgiveness. And yet, it's much easier to bless someone than to hang on to the hurt, the blame, the bitterness. Marianne has a great take on the universe as self-organizing and self-correcting, with the idea that if anyone does anything that is a transgression or a betrayal, well, the universe takes care of it. She says the universe has a way of returning to us whatever has been taken away. She calls this the principle of divine compensation. If my heart is closed, she says, I won't be able to receive the miraculously new possibility that the universe is bringing. The possibility is held in trust for us by the Holy Spirit until we're ready to receive it. So as long as we keep our heart open, the universe will find a way to support us. If our hearts are not open, we can't receive the possibility. This reminds me of Mass India's message in Chapter 8. They say that abundance is at our fingertips. To be fulfilled, to thrive and be well and whole, we must open our receiving channel. Mastindia also says that we are exactly where we need to be in perfect divine time, standing beside the person, child, spouse, co-worker, friend, that is eminently linked to us in a sacred way. Nothing is by chance, as all energy is interconnected and on purpose. Therefore, every situation is an opportunity for us to return to love. When we recognize this, there is no separation. For we come to accept each other's differences, not as polarities, but as two sides of the same purpose. Returning to love is imminent. It is always what is wanting to unfold, even though it may not seem like it, even though countless forms of adversity threaten to overcome us. Every situation that arises in our lives is, is designed to awaken us, not defeat us. Marianne Williamson's message and Mass India's teachings on love bring me to a powerful meditation practice that you may, you may know about. It's the Tonglen Buddhist meditation, a practice of breathing in unpleasant and painful energy and then exhaling joy to all sentient beings. The practice focuses on taking in the, the dissonance and pain through, through the in-breath and then sending out spaciousness and relief through the out-breath. It's a practice of embracing rather than rejecting unwanted feelings. It's a practice of opening our hearts and cultivating an easeful relationship with unease. Instead of fending off pain and, and, and hiding from it, we open our hearts and allow ourselves to feel the pain. Something amazing happens when we dissolve the, the tightness in our hearts, when we let go of judgments. Our compassion is awakened. We are open to a larger view of reality and see, and we see others and we see ourselves and, and reality in a, in a completely new way. In essence, energy cannot be contained. It can't be damned. I love this passage from chapter 12, a channeled message. Mass India says, Your soul and body is powerful beyond measure. An energy frequency that cannot be doused. A fire in your belly that burns brightly. 
all energy is pure movement. It refuses to be obstructed and is unstoppable. Therefore, clenching onto energy as when holding a grudge only makes it intensify. Not ease or flow freely because it has to push beyond your discrimination to evolve. When energy pushes past restriction, it can be very uncomfortable because your holding patterns amplify, manifesting more holding patterns. You cannot contain energy without it swelling and forcing its way through you. No matter how much you try to thwart it, energy counters your resistance. It moves you, ready or not. Energy cannot be impeded, controlled, coerced, or cajoled without consequence, without manifesting disease and suffering. Just as when the natural flow of a river is obstructed, ecosystems are damaged. Trying to control the energy movement within your life and body is no different. It impairs the vitality of your whole body, mind, and spirit. It is important to also know that when you hold on to limiting frequencies, such as shame, doubt, or blame, it affects not only your physiology, but also the space in which your body resides, your home, office, public transport, as well as other people's energy fields. Your thoughts, emotions, and attitudes are in essence moving energy. Therefore, they have an effect on everything around you because they are not isolated within your own experience. Have you ever walked into a room and felt instant discomfort? Perhaps the person who was there before you received disheartening news and the energy vibration of his or her feeling of loss overwhelmed you with grief. Energy cannot remain isolated to one person alone, as there is absolutely nothing in the world that is self-contained. And since everything is interconnected energetically, nothing happens just to you. You encounter energy to feel the grief and release it. It serves you in ways that are unbeknownst to you, ways that play a larger role in the evolution of your soul. You can walk by someone on the street and without knowing that person walk away depressed, not because you are susceptible to depression, but rather because the energy needs your empathy. The point here is not to protect yourself from a person's suffering, nor to collapse into despair, but to aid the energy in its transformation. You do this by loving the energy with profound acceptance and trust, knowing that your love is more powerful than the suffering. When you are in love, the energy moves through you freely without getting snagged by self-protection and disbelief and powerlessness. Then nothing can interfere with your well-being because you are passionate about life, present and awake. And that is the channeled message in this chapter that I'm happy to share with you. Thank you for joining me for this. Well, it's, it's the second to last episode in the podcast series on, on my book, Mystical Intimacy. The Body Soul Podcast is brought to you by Linda Nardelli. You can find out more about her book, Mystical Intimacy, on her website, lindanardelli.com, and on Amazon. The podcast is her deepening exploration of the book's messages and the teachings of Masindia. Music for this episode is from the Purple Planet Collection, written and performed by Chris Martin and Jeff Harvey, and the podcast editing by Igor Masharyakov.